Chapter Twenty Six of The Imperialist by Sarah Jeanette Duncan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Christmas came and went. Dr. Drummond had long accepted the innovation of a service on Christmas Day, as he agreed to the anthem while the collection was being taken up, to flowers about the pulpit, and to the habit of sitting at prayer he was a progressive by his business instinct in everything but theology where perhaps his business instinct also operated the other way in favour of the sure thing the christmas day service soon became one of those special occasions so dear to his heart which made a demand upon him out of the ordinary way he rose to these on the wing of the eagle and his congregation never lacked the lesson that could be most dramatically drawn from them his christmas day discourse gathered everything into it that could emphasize the anniversary including a vigorous attack upon the saints days and ceremonies of the church of england calculated to correct the concession of the service and pull up sharply any who thought that presbyterianism was giving way to the spurious attractions of sentimentality or ritual the special easter service with every appropriate feature of hymn and invocation was apt to be marked by an unsparing denunciation of the pageants and practices of the church of rome balance was thus preserved and principle relentlessly indicated dr drummond loved as i have said all that asked for notable comment the poet and the tragedian in him caught at the opportunity and reveled in it public events carried him far especially if they were disastrous but what he most profited by was the dealing of providence with members of his own congregation of all the occasions that inspired him the funeral sermon was his happiest opportunity nor was it in his hands by any means unstinted eulogy candid was his summing up behind the decent veil the accepted apology of death he was not afraid to refer to the follies of youth or the weaknesses of age in terms as unmistakable as they were kindly grace he said once of an estimable plain spinster who had passed away did more for her than ever nature had done he repeated it too she was far more indebted i say to grace than to nature and before his sharp earnestness none were seen to smile nor could you forget the note in his voice when the loss he deplored was that of a youth of virtue and promise or that of a personal friend his very text would be a blow upon the heart the eyes filled from the beginning people would often say that they were sorry for the family sitting through dr drummond's celebration of their bereavement and the sympathy was probably well founded but how fine he was when he paid the last tribute to that upright man his elder and office-bearer david davidson how his words marched sorrowing to the close much i have said of him and more than he would have had me say will it not stay with those who heard it till the very end the trenchant mournful fall of that more than he would have had me say 
it was a thing that hugh finlay could not abide in dr drummond as the winter passed the little doctor was hard put to it to keep his hands off the great political issue of the year bound up as it was in the tenets of his own politics which he held only less uncompromisingly than those of the shorter catechism it was unfortunately for him a gradual and peaceful progress of opinion marked by no dramatic incidents and analogy was hard to find in either testament for a change of fiscal policy based on imperial advantage dr drummond liked a pretty definite parallel he had small opinion of the practice of drawing a pint out of a thimble as he considered finlay must have done when he preached the gospel of imperialism from deuteronomy thirty fourteen but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it moreover to preach politics in knox church was a liberty in finlay the fact that finlay had been beforehand with him operated perhaps to reconcile the doctor to his difficulty and the candidature of one of his own members in what was practically the imperial interest no doubt increased his embarrassment nevertheless he would not lose sight of the matter for more than two or three weeks together many an odd blow he delivered for its furtherance by way of illustrating higher things and he kept it always so to speak in the practical politics of the long prayer it was sunday evening and abby and her husband as usual had come to tea the family was complete with the exception of lorne who had driven out to clayfield with horace williams to talk over some urgent matters with persons whom he would meet at supper at the metropole hotel at clayfield it was a thing mrs murchison thought little short of scandalous supper to talk business on the sabbath day and in a hotel a place of which the smell about the door was enough to knock you down even on a weekday mrs murchison considered and did not scruple to say so that politics should be left alone on sundays clayfield votes might be very important but there were such things as commandments she supposed it'll bring no blessing she declared severely eyeing lorne's empty place the talk about the lamplit table was nevertheless all of the election blessed or unblessed it was not in human nature that it shouldn't be as mrs murchison would have very quickly told you if you had found her inconsistent there was reason in all things as she frequently said i hear alec had told them that octavius milburn is going around bragging he's got the elgin chamber of commerce consolidated this time against us exclaimed stella and her brother said of course those milburns remarked mrs murchison are enough to make one's blood boil i met mrs milburn in the market yesterday she'd been pricing mrs crow's ducks and they were just five cents too dear for her and she stopped wonderful thing for her and had such an amount to say about lorne and the honour it was and the dear only knows what butter wouldn't melt in her mouth and octavius milburn 
doing all he knew against him the whole time that's the milburns i cut her remarkably short mrs murchison added with satisfaction and when she'd made up her mind she'd have to give that extra five cents for the ducks because there weren't any others to be had she went back and found i'd bought them well done mother said alec and oliver remarked that if those were to-day's ducks they were too good for the milburn crowd a lot i expect she wanted them too remarked stella they've got the only mr hesketh staying with them now miss filkins in a great state of excitement i guess we can spare them hesketh said john murchison he's a lobster said stella with fervor he seems to bring a frost wherever he goes continued abby's husband in politics anyhow i hear lorne wants to make a present of him to the other side for use wherever they'll let him speak longest is it true he began his speech out at jordanville gentlemen and those of you who are not gentlemen could he have meant mrs farquharson and miss milburn asked mr murchison quietly when the derision subsided and they laughed again he told me said edvina that he proposed to convert mr milburn to the imperial policy he'll have his job cut out for him said her father for my part abby told them i think the milburns are beneath contempt you don't know exactly what it is but there's something about them not that we ever come in contact with them she continued with dignity i believe they used to be patients of dr henry's till he got up in years but they don't call in harry maybe that's what there is about them said mr murchison innocently father's made up his mind announced dr harry and they waited breathless there could be only one point upon which dr henry could be dubitating at that moment he's going to vote for lorne he's a lovely old darling cried stella good for dr henry johnson i knew he would the rest were silent with independence and gratification dr henry's conservatism had been supposed to be invincible dr harry they thought a fair prey to murchison influence and he had capitulated early but he had never promised to answer for his father yes he's taken his time about it and he's consulted about all the known authorities said his son humorously went right back to the manchester school to begin with sat out on the veranda reading cobden and bright the whole summer if anybody came for advice sent him in to me i did a trade i tell you he thought they talked an awful lot of sense those fellows from the english point of view do you mean to tell me he'd say that a generation born and bred in political doctrine of that sort is going to hold on to the colonies at a sacrifice they'd rather let him go at a sacrifice well then he got to reading the other side of the question and old ormiston sent him parkin and he lent old ormiston goldwin smith and then he subscribed to the times for six months the bill must have nearly bust him and then the squire went over without waiting for him and without any assistance from the times either and finally well he says that if it's good enough business for the people of england it's good enough business for him only he keeps on worrying about the people of england and whether they'll make enough by it to keep them contented till he can't half enjoy his meals 
and though he's going to vote for lorn next month all right he wants it to be distinctly understood that family connection has nothing to do with it of course it hasn't edwina said but we're just as much obliged remarked stella a lot of our church people are going to stay at home election day declared abby they won't vote for lorn and they won't vote against imperialism so they'll just sulk silly i call it good enough business for us said alec well what i want to know is said mrs murchison whether you are coming to the church you were born and brought up in abby or not to-night there's the first bell i'm not going to any church said abby i went this morning i'm going home to my baby your father and mother said mrs murchison can go twice a day and be none the worse for it by the way father did you know old mrs parr was dead died this morning at four o'clock they telephoned for dr drummond and i think they had little to do for he had been up with her half the night already mrs forsyth told me did he go asked mr murchison he did not for the very good reason that he knew nothing about it mrs forsyth answered the telephone and told them he hadn't been two hours in his bed and she wouldn't get him out again for an unconscious deathbed and him with bronchitis on him and two sermons to preach to-day oh weren't mrs forsyth caught it in the morning said john murchison that she did the doctor was as cross as two sticks that she hadn't had him out to answer the phone i just spoke up she said and told him i didn't see how he was going to do any good to the poor soul over a telephone wire it isn't that he said but i might have put them on to peter fratch for the funeral we've never had an undertaker in the church before he said he's just come and he ought to be supported now i expect it's too late they'll have gone to liscombe he rang them up right away but they had dr drummond can't stand liscombe said alec as they all laughed a little at the doctor's foible all except edwina who laughed a great deal she laughed wildly then weakly i wouldn't think it a pleasure to be buried by liscombe myself she cried hysterically and then laughed again until the tears ran down her face and she lay back in her chair and moaned still laughing mr and mrs murchison alec stella and edwina made up the family party oliver for reasons of his own would attend the river avenue methodist church that evening they slipped out presently into a crisp white winter night the snow was banked on both sides of the street spreading garden fir trees huddled together weighted down with it ragged icicles hung from the eaves or lay in long broken fingers on the trodden paths the snow snapped and tore under their feet there was a glorious moon that observed every tattered weed sticking up through the whiteness and etched it with its shadow the town lay under the moon almost dramatic almost mysterious so withdrawn it was out of the cold so turned in upon its own soul of the fireplace it might have stood in the snow and the silence for a shell and a symbol of the humanity within for angels or other strangers to mark with curiosity 
mr and mrs murchison were neither angels nor strangers they looked at it and saw that the peterson place was still standing empty and that old mr fisher hadn't finished his new porch before zero weather came to stop him the young people were well ahead mrs murchison on her husband's arm stepped along with the spring of an impetus undisclosed is it to be the doctor to-night asked john murchison he was so hoarse this morning i wouldn't be surprised to see finlay in the pulpit they're getting only morning services in east elgin just now while they're changing the lighting arrangements are they indeed well i hope they'll change them and be done with it for i can't say i'm anxious for too much of their mr finlay in knox church oh you like the man well enough for a change mother john assured her i've nothing to say against his preaching it's the fellow himself and i hope we won't get him to-night for the way i feel now if i see him gawking up the pulpit steps it'll be as much as i can do to keep in my seat and so i just tell you john you're a little out of patience with him i see said mr murchison and it would be a good thing if more than me were out of patience with him there's such a thing as too much patience i've noticed i dare say replied her husband cheerfully if advina were any daughter of mine she'd have less patience with him she's not much like you assented the father i must say i like a girl to have a little spirit if a man has none and before i'd have him coming to the house week after week the way he has i'd see him far enough he might as well come there as anywhere mr murchison replied ambiguously i suppose he has now and then time on his hands well he won't have it on his hands much longer he won't eh no he won't mrs murchison almost shook the arm she was attached to john i think you might show a little interest the man's going to be married you don't say that john murchison's tone expressed not only astonishment but concern mrs murchison was almost mollified but i do say it his future wife is coming here to elgin next month she and her aunt or her grandmother or somebody and they're to stay at dr drummond's and be married as soon as possible nonsense said mr murchison which was his way of expressing simple astonishment there's no nonsense about it advina told me herself this afternoon did she seem put out about it she's not a girl to show it mrs murchison hedged if she was i just looked at her well i said that's a piece of news when did you hear it i said oh i've known it all the winter says my lady what i wanted to say was that for an engaged man he had been pretty liberal with his visits but she had such a queer look in her eyes i couldn't express myself somehow it was just as well left unsaid her husband told her thoughtfully i'm not so sure mrs murchison retorted you're a great man john for letting everything alone when he's been coming here regularly for more than a year putting ideas into the girl's head he seems to have told her how things were that's all very well if he had kept himself to himself at the same time 
well mother you know you never thought much of the prospect no i didn't mrs murchison said it wouldn't be me that would be married to him and i've always said so but i'd got more or less used to it she confessed the man's well enough in some ways dear knows there would be a pair of them one's as much of a muddler as the other and anybody can see with half an eye that Edvina likes him it hasn't turned out as i expected that's a fact john and i'm just very much annoyed i'm not best pleased about it myself said john murchison expressing as usual a very small proportion of the regret that he felt but i suppose they know their own business thus in their different ways did these elder ones also acknowledge their helplessness before the advancing event they could talk of it in private and express their dissatisfaction with it and that was all they could do it would not be a matter much further turned over between them at best they would be shy of any affair of sentiment in terms of speech and from one that affected a member of the family self-respect would help to pull them the other way mrs murchison might remember it in the list of things which roused her vain indignation john murchison would put it away in the limbo of irremediables that were better forgotten for the present they had reached the church door mrs murchison saw with relief that dr drummond occupied his own pulpit but if her glance had gone the length of three pews behind her she would have discovered that hugh finlay made one of the congregation fortunately perhaps for her enjoyment of the service she did not look round dr drummond was more observing but his was a position of advantage in the accustomed sea of faces two heavy shadowed and obstinately facing fate swam together before dr drummond and after he had lifted his hands and closed his eyes for the long prayer he saw them still so that these words occurred near the end in the long prayer o thou searcher of hearts who hast known man from the beginning to whom his highest desires and his loftiest intentions are but as the desires and intentions of a little child look with thine own compassion we beseech thee upon souls before thee in any peculiar difficulty our mortal life is full of sin it is also full of the misconception of virtue do thou clear the understanding o lord of such as would interpret thy will to their own undoing do thou teach them that as happiness may reside in chastening so chastening may reside in happiness and though such stand fast to their hurt do thou grant to them in thine own way which may not be our way a safe issue out of the dangers that beset them dr drummond had his own method of reconciling foreordination and free will to edvina his supplication came with that mysterious double emphasis of chance words that fit her thought played upon them all through the sermon rejecting and rejecting again their application and their argument and the spring of hope in them 
she too knew that finlay was in church and half timidly she looked back for him as the congregation filed out again into the winter streets but he furious and more resolved than ever had gone home by another way End of chapter 26